Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied, and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. Now this was a smart move on the leper's part here. They figured that somebody was eventually going to find this abandoned camp anyway. And if they did, then they would be punished as criminals for not telling about it to the rest of everybody else because you had a whole starving population going on. They're going to be held liable as criminals for not sharing this information. So they felt really convicted for not telling other people who were suffering that there's a lot of food and stuff here that we could all be partaking of. So they decided to go and tell others about it. That was a good move. Second Kings 7 and 12. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. Okay, King Joram doesn't trust this. He thinks it's a trap. He suspected here that since Ben-Hadad's army knew they were starving, and since that army had been unable to break into their territory, that they would set up an abandoned camp. Let's set up a camp. Let's fill it full of good food. That's what they want. Let's draw them out. And when they come out to plunder it, that's going to leave them open and vulnerable to an easy attack. That's when we'll get them. So King Joram, he thinks this is a trap designed to get them to come out. But guys, you got to remember, King Joram was about half nuts. He was tripping on sin. His logic was flawed. He was unable to see that this was part of the Lord's prophesied warning that Elisha said was going to happen that was supposed to happen within 24 hours so that everybody could eat. He was a God-hater. He couldn't see God's blessing right in front of his face. 2 Kings 7.13 And one of his servants answered and said, Please, Let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. Okay, so at this point, Elisha's prophecy was starting to take shape. All the elements that were supposed to bring it to pass, there's going to have good food. It's going to be sold for cheap prices within 24 hours. All these elements were now in place. So you got to consider the question people had when they heard Elisha's prophecy. 
which would be this. During this famine, how in the world could food sell for so cheap just within 24 hours? If this abundance of the enemy's food in their tents and all their supplies, if it was suddenly taken by Israelites, then that means this prophecy could come true because that's how the Lord was bringing it in. But the only thing that was holding it all back was King Joram's hesitation. He didn't want to let anybody move in on this camp. So what you have here is if nobody moved in on this opportunity, if nobody went out to check on this camp, then Elisha's prophecy would not come true. And so I believe that the Lord put advice into one of the king's servants to persuade the king into taking an action. Let's go, at least let us go look. Give us some horses. Let us go at least check it out because that would catapult them straight into this prophecy becoming true. This prophecy would now be fulfilled. Friends, the Lord is not about to let one of his prophecies fall to the ground. He never does, and he never will. All of his prophecies will come to pass. And so the king's servant had somewhat of the uh, the same logic that the lepers have. He, it was basically like this. Look, if we're about to die anyway, we might as well send a few guys out there to see if the story is true. Is there really food out there? At least let us go check. If this is a trap and they get killed by going out to check, uh, we're about to die anyway. But if it's not a trap and if there's really food out there, then we'll all get to eat. <laughs> so I think the Lord put this advice in his servants to motivate, to move the king to say, okay, go check it out. God's not going to let a prophecy fall to the ground. So they asked for five horses to go check, but the king only let them take four because they took two chariots. There's two horses to a chariot. Okay. This king, he was such an untrusting tightwad. They asked for five. They got four. Okay, go check it out. He was so spiritually drunk on his God-hating Baal worship that he didn't even have the vision to see that the Lord's hand was in what was taking place. He didn't see the Lord in it at all. That's what will happen to you when you worship false gods. 2 Kings 7.15, and they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Okay, Ben-Hadad's army, they were so scared at the mere sound of God's mighty army that they took off so fast, they left a long trail of clothing and weapons and all kinds of stuff that fell off along the road. Can you imagine the nightmare sound of terror that chased them to make them run so hard that they lost all this stuff? I bet this would make a really terrifying movie scene if somebody was to shoot it. God's army is infinitely superior to that of any military force on earth. Second Kings 7.16 then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. See, it just happened exactly the way the Lord said it would, just exactly how Elisha prophesied. So what sounded absolutely impossible just 24 hours before was suddenly happening. It was now a reality. It was going down. Because this surge of supplies came from Israel's enemy, they abandoned it at the sound of God's holy army, and now this supply was able to meet the needs of the people. 
which also lowered the crazy high food prices down to where some of it could actually be sold at a reasonable rate, which would help generate economic trade. Bottom line, the Lord supplied his people's needs in a time when they said it couldn't happen, and everything that the Lord had said had come to pass exactly the way that Elisha said it would, exactly how it was foretold. 2 Kings 7 verse 17. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened, just as the man of God had had spoken to the king, saying, Two seahs of barley for a shekel, and a seah of fine flour for a shekel, shall be sold tomorrow, about this time, in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. Okay, so when the gate opened up, the people rushed out of desperation so fast to get that food that they ran over the guy who was in charge of the gate. And this was the very same guy back in verse 2 that mocked the Lord, that ridiculed this prophecy. He made fun of what Elisha said would happen within 24 hours. And Elisha said, you're not going to, you're going to see it, but you're not going to get to have any of it. So now you know what Elisha meant when he told this guy that he would see it, but he wouldn't get to eat any of it. And I think that's very sad how the Lord showed this guy. He showed him, look at what you could have had. You could have had it. You're with an eye shot of it. The man got to set his eyes on it, but was condemned for his rejection and his unbelief. Wow, friends, what a crazy story this is. But let's just get to the, the, the big extremity of it. How did Israel arrive to such a bad mess as this, to the point of killing their own children? You're going to boil my son today? You're going to boil your son tomorrow? How did they get to this? How? How did it get this bad? The answer comes from what God said to them, to Israel, in his word. He promised to give Israel everything they needed if they trusted in him. But the Lord also warned them what would happen if they turned away to follow false gods. He warned them that if they got worse and worse, that he would execute layer upon layer of judgment worse and worse every time they sinned. Their judgment would worsen proportionately to the worsening of their sin. And we've been reading in the books here that they've been keeping on with it. They insisted and persisted in living in sin. And so the judgments that God put on them got worse accordingly. Here's where he said it. Leviticus 26, verse 27. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Okay, so now you know how they arrived to this low point of cannibalism. That's how it got this bad. God told them they would come to this. Now, friends, you really need to read the entire chapter of Leviticus 26 to get the full scope here. 
I didn't have time to read it all to you, but you go read it, and it, it, it explains the whole thing. Israel did not just sin a few times to arrive to this bad of a famine. They sinned heavily for years in order for things to get this bad. Israel deliberately despised the Lord through every terrifying layer of judgments that God had already forewarned them about. He said, this is what's going to happen if you turn from me. And they basically said, we don't care. And they sinned anyway. So how in the world did a culture arrive to the barbarism of people crying out to their God-hating leadership about how upset they were that other people refused to kill their children? Has it occurred to you that our culture today right now does the same thing? People cry out to their God-hating leadership about how upset they are that people refuse to kill their children. Yes, I am talking about abortion. Let me be clear. People are mad that they don't get to kill their children. Well, Ray, this was different in, in the story you're reading. That was about eating. Oh, you think the abortion industry is not making money so they can put food on their table too? That's how they make a living, guys. And now we even have educated doctors mutilating our children's gender because obviously God made a mistake when he made them. You think Israel's culture was sick? Look at ours. How does a culture get as crazy, sinful as this? Here's how. Romans 1 verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Debased means degraded, immoral. It means corrupt degenerate, vicious, polluted. You cannot reason with a debased mind because it's gone. This is why our culture hates Christians, because just like King Joram did, they blame all their problems on God, not realizing that their trouble is his judgment for their sin. See, a debased mind can't comprehend what's going on. King Joram could not comprehend that the Lord's hand was in all this food. He thought it was some kind of a trap, and he blamed God. Oh, let's go kill Elisha the prophet. He had a debased mind. Friends, this is what sin will do to you. It'll separate you from the Lord God. Isaiah 59, verse 2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You know, I've heard it said that God hears all prayers, but according to this verse, he doesn't. This calls for repentance, friends. I mean, a turn back to the Lord God. And you cannot reason with a debased mind. So please, Christian, do not get into all those social media arguments that are going on out there. You cannot reason with a debased mind. You can't win. It's just a waste of time. It's just you stirring your half of the pot. What do you do? You pray, you turn them over to the Lord God. Don't try to take matters into your own hands. Do like Elisha did. You turn them over to the Lord. You pray. You consult with God. That's what all the elders were doing there anyway. They were there with Elisha to consult with the Lord. What do we do? We always consult with the Lord. Leave it up to him. Now, let's consider that for many years here at this point in the story, through many generations, Israel had been engaged in deliberate sin against God, and so they finally arrived 
to all the terrible judgments that God said would happen. How do you end up in this bad of a mess when you already know about it? When the Lord God told you, if you do this, here's what I'm going to do about it. But they did anyway. Friends, when God says he's going to do something, he does it. He said he would bless them if they followed him. They didn't. But he also said, I'll judge you if you turn on me. And that's what he did. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Friends, when God says he's going to do something, he does it. He told Israel, you trust me and I'll bless you. But if they turn on him, he said he would judge them for it, and he did that. So let me bring this story down to you and me. God has made promises to us, a lot of them. He's promised to save us if we believe in him. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will be. That's a promise. And so God has also promised that those who reject him will be condemned. John 3 verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there you go, friends. We have all been forewarned. We all know how it's going to turn out for us depending on how we respond to the Lord, okay? And so none of this should come as a surprise to anyone. We've all been told. The problem is that there are those who mock the Lord. They ridicule him, and they don't believe that he can do these things. I want you to remember the king's officer who did not believe that the Lord could accomplish that promise, that the Lord could not bring about that prophecy to have good food being sold for such a cheap price. He made fun of it. Now, you remember what Elisha said to him. He said, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. And the officer was killed within sight of it. I want you to hold that thought for a minute, that he made fun of the Lord's promise, but he did not get to partake of the blessing, but he saw it. He was within eye view of it, but he didn't get to have it. Keep that in your mind for a minute. I want to tell you about two different judgments that God has awaiting for us, because we saw both of them. You believe you'll be saved. You reject, you'll be condemned. Okay, one judgment is for believers. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment. And that is discussed in Romans chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where the believers will be judged. And the reason it's called a bema, uh, if you ever watch the Olympics, there's a bema at the end of uh, the races or whatever they do, where it's that multi-level platform where the first, second, and third place guys stand. And they hang their medals on them. And they're being judged there. So they're judged for what they did right. So they go up to the first place guy and they give him a gold medal. I judge you first. Well done. I judge you second. Here's your silver medal. They're judged at the Bema for what they did right. That's the one you want to be at, friend. You want to be judged for the righteousness of Christ living through your life. You want to be judged according to righteousness. But there is another judgment for those who have rejected the Lord And it's called the Great White Throne Judgment from Revelation chapter 20. You do not want to be 
at the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be there because all who are judged there will be thrown into the lake of fire. If you read Revelation chapter 20, it says that these condemned people will be standing before God when he condemns them. This means they will get to see, their eyes will see him, a momentary glimpse of the Lord God. They will get to see what great blessing they could have had. But because they chose to sin over and over and over again, because of a debased mind, repeatedly for years, throughout their entire lives, they rejected the Lord God then they would be condemned. What an incredible, unimaginable shame to get within eyesight of the Lord God, to see him, only to be condemned by him for unbelief. You know, just like the king's officer, to think that he was told that he would get to see God's blessing, he would get to see that food, but he would not get to taste any of it. Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So, friend, maybe you're doubting your salvation, or maybe the world is really scaring you right now. I think I can tell you why. Because you're trying to take matters into your own hands, but you don't know what to do. I think we should all take Elisha's advice when he said, Hear the word of the Lord, he said. Remember? Hear the word of the Lord, friend. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Friends, don't end up like the king's officer and die within sight of seeing the Lord. Don't let a debased, God-hating mind cause you to miss out on all the blessings that God has promised you. If you want this, here's how you do it. You pray before the Lord God. Follow me in prayer, please. Dear Lord God, I've sinned. I've had a debased mind. I, my way has never figured anything out. I have ruined my life, and I don't know how to fix it. Taking matters in my own hands has not worked yet, and I'm tired, Lord God. I need your help. Save me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died in my place to pay the penalty for my sins. I now turn over my ruined, destroyed life. I turn it over to you to save me. Thank you for coming to save a sinner like me. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. I give you my life. Take it and make me new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you did that, If you believe the Lord Jesus raised again, he died for you, then the Bible says you're saved, and that's a promise of God. Now walk in that. Stop trying to figure it out yourself. Stop trying to go to war with everybody over everything that's different than how you see it. Give your life to the Lord and follow him. You need to know that you are not worthless. I say that every time, and I'll say it again. I'll say it until I go home, okay? You are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross. Do you believe that? Then the Bible says you're saved. I'll see you at the Bema seat someday.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.